are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So I guess LeBron's not flipping bottles up and playing bottle games in our arena tonight, huh? <laughs> As a matter of fact, he's off the floor and gone to the locker room already. And welcome. You are locked on to the NBA. My name is Nick Angstead, host of the Locked On Mavericks podcast, and joining me, as always, the great Ben Golliver from the Washington Post. Ben, what you got for me? Uh, you know, plenty uh, on this night. You know, a bunch of games. I think probably the headlining game is that West Conference showdown between the Lakers and the Jazz. I mean, just another light 22 for 48 three-point shooting from the Utah Jazz in a, in a <laughs> game that was over fairly early. Very convincing victory for them. Uh, you know, Utah Jazz fans are probably a little bit upset that uh, Mike Conley didn't get uh, named as either an all-star reserve on Tuesday or as the injury replacement for Anthony Davis on Wednesday. Um, they're absolutely rolling right now, 26-6. and six. I think they're the kind of the story of the season. And for the Lakers, you know, I'm not going to be one who's who's getting the concern trolling stuff. I think, you know, it's kind of patience is the order of the day right now during Anthony Davis's replacement. Um, but, or, uh, sorry, during his injury. But uh, at the same time, I mean, you're not feeling great about how the last week went. If you're a Laker fan, you're seeing all sorts of flaws that you're, uh, you're not used to seeing. And, uh, you know, you're, you're probably feeling a little bit more anxious than you thought you would be with the uh, midseason break approaching here pretty soon. David Locke, who is the founder of the Lockdown Podcast Network, my boss, and is usually sitting in this chair talking to you. He just must be high on like just jazz three point basketball. Like he just he probably doesn't even have to drink to feel like that buzz, right? Like there's just <laughs> the way this team is playing, they're going absolutely insane. Uh, every meeting that I have with him, he he talks about the Jazz and talks trash, and it's just like another level that I just haven't seen before. Uh, they didn't even have one player score double like in in uh, score twenty points in this game. Like they just are so balanced. They their attack is just they can have any single player go off. They're so balanced, and yeah, like the the Lakers side of it, they've lost four straight. And Anthony Davis is out. Dennis Schroeder's also out too, which I don't think a lot of people are, are mentioning with this. He's probably their third best player. And that's super important, especially if you're going to have a guy like Anthony Davis out. You want somebody to replace that offense. They just don't have that at the moment. Montrez Harrell, 16 points off the bench in this one, but they don't have another guy like that. The, the question, I guess, that would matter is because we know that when, the, when Anthony Davis comes back and when they play that, you know, LeBron at the four, Anthony Davis at the five, it's it's game over, right? Like, that's the lineup that really matters. That's the one where if we're looking at, you know, trying to gauge how they're going to play in the playoffs. That's the one that we really need to look at and evaluate. I guess what matters now is does this have any effect on LeBron's MVP case or should we just still wait on that? I think it could. I mean, here's the thing with LeBron. He'll never say that he's tired. I mean, he loves to deny fatigue, but there's three signs to me that I always look for when it comes to LeBron tiring. It would be, is he settling for threes too often, um, you know, in situations that he would normally, and does that reflect in his three-point percentage? What do his turnovers like? And then what does his individual defensive effort look like? And I think when you're looking back at the last week of Lakers games, there's been issues on all three of those fronts simultaneously, right? Like all three of them are kind of raring right now. And yet he still says all the right things in the report, you know, to the reporters. He, he wants to be out there. He feels like it's his obligation. He wants to step up during Anthony Davis's absence, but he certainly looks tired to me. I think it's pretty much uh, indisputable. There were certain moments during last year's playoff run where I thought he looked tired, but he, he did find ways to kind of gut it out. 
But it's different when you're going into a game five or a game six and you realize, look, you can just leave it all out there, 42, 44 minutes. You have to play all 12 minutes in the fourth quarter, whatever. It's a lot different here in February where you're looking ahead and saying, wow, it could be another five months until somebody's crowned champion. That's a long way off. And, you know, I think if I was the Lakers, I would be trying to manage his minutes a little bit more carefully. I know it came down tonight just because of the, the nature of the outcome against Utah, but he's been running up a lot of big minute totals. I believe he leads their team in minutes for the season. Um, and, and I think that they should try to, if they possibly can, have him just kind of coast into the all-star break. I would care less about their position in the standing. I would care less about the MVP race right now. I would care more about making sure he's fresh heading into the start of the regular season. Do you think that there's anybody in the organization that could manage LeBron's minutes, right? Like, isn't it just on LeBron? He's the one that spends million dollars every year on his body. He's the one that decides I can play. I feel like he's the one that's saying, I want to keep playing. I'm not going to do this rest thing because in the past that, that rest thing has probably cost me an MVP or two right in the past. So I wonder if the Lakers can manage his minutes or if it's just strictly on him. No, I think he has a very large say in it, but I would also say that LeBron's, you know, incredible at adjusting in games and he's incredible at adjusting off the court as well. I mean, look no further than going from Cleveland to Miami to Cleveland, then to Los Angeles, always kind of staying one step ahead of what people expected from him. Um, and of him and as a franchise level player, I think that if he sees something that's not working, he doesn't wait and allow that to dwell. He tries to make changes and adjust as he can. And to me right now, it's like, you're looking at his box score tonight. He's minus 20. Uh, you know, he's shooting one on five from uh, one for five from three. He's got four turnovers. His hustle stats aren't really there and they get absolutely worked. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you look back at the last four or five games and, and you're seeing some trends that, should prompt some adjustments, whether it's coming from Vogel, whether it's coming from the front office, or whether it's, uh, you know, coming from LeBron himself. And this doesn't have to be drastic. You know, I'm not saying play him 20 minutes a night. I'm just saying <laughs> keep him out of those upper 30s, those 40-minute uh, uh, games where that kind of has a carryover toll onto the next game. Yeah, well, he's also chasing Kareem and all that, too. So, I mean, all the minutes equals more points and all that. So I wonder if some of that's starting to get in his mind. 36 years old and getting to – Getting to the end, I guess. I mean, we it's kind of like Tom Brady. Don't, don't really do that, see. Nick. No, no. This guy's got a <laughs> lot of basketball left, but it's just about how do you dole it out, right? You know, I, I'm not worried yeah. about LeBron big picture. It's more about, uh, you know, short-term uh, risk-reward to me. It's like, okay, if they're – let's say they do drop to like the four seed or the five seed in the Western Conference. Does that matter, right? Is that an issue really at all? Aren't you going to pick the Lakers in any first-round matchup they get? Um, I certainly would. So that, that's that's sort of where I'm coming from. I'd pick him in every series except for the Mavericks, but don't call me a homer on that one. Uh, Other news in the NBA. Devin Booker was named the injury replacement for Anthony Davis. I don't think anyone is surprised by that. Ben, were you surprised that Devin Booker was not named an all-star outright, Uh, especially since LeBron, who we just mentioned, said he's the most disrespected player in the NBA? I thought that that was a wild statement from LeBron and that Devin Booker was uh, not named All-Star because you have to take somebody off the team if you're going to put somebody on. Well, let me ask you, did Adam Silver name this injury replacement or did LeBron and the players? You know, I mean, they all came out in very coordinated fashion after the uh, the selections were made and it was book, 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 book. And then sure enough, you know, Adam Silver picks Booker. It kind of felt like uh, he was at least considering the player's perspective when he made that selection. Um, I wasn't especially surprised that he got left off. I think in, you know, on my team, I had Chris Paul on. I did not have Devin Booker on. I had uh, Mike Conley just to reward the Utah Jazz's success as one of my last picks. 
And then I actually had Zion Williamson as an injury replacement for Anthony Davis. So, you know, Booker was like one of the last guys cut right up there. You know, he was actually the, the last guy cut on my list. Uh, you know, Darren Fox was after him. So, you know, it was a matter of splitting hairs there in the Western Conference. I actually think the most deserving all-star who was snubbed, who should have been the, the injury replacement, was Chris Middleton. I don't understand how he got left mm. off when you're looking at Milwaukee's team success. You're looking at Middleton's efficiency. You look at his two-way play, his track record of consistency. Uh, he does everything right off the court. You know, the only thing is people forget about him because he's not a look at me, you know, campaigning for an all-star type of guy. I think that's unfortunate. You know, I, I actually look at, you know, some of these recent results and voting and everything else. And like, I'm not sure I agree with LeBron. I think Chris Middleton is more disrespected than a player like Devin Booker personally. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially since if, if he didn't make the all-star team in the East, I mean, and it's not like somebody made it over him that you go, Oh yeah, that's a hundred percent definite. Uh, I mean, you look at the two guys that made it Zach, Zach Levine and uh, Nikola Vucevic. I mean, those are probably the two guys that made it over him. Not, I don't know if they have the best case, but coaches decided and they went with somebody else. They went with the new blood, I guess, with yeah, Zach Levine. And, and Randall, too. And it's like, okay, I mean, right. really, let's ask these coaches. You've seen Chris Middleton in a playoff series. This guy's a monster in the playoffs. He brings it both ways. He's rock solid. He's consistent. He was like the best thing that happened to the Bucks in the bubble. Giannis got injured. Chris Middleton showed up out of nowhere and went absolutely nuts when he was the number one option in that game and, and played a bunch of minutes going into overtime. I do not believe for a second that these Eastern conference coaches are going to be more afraid of some of these younger players, uh, like a Vu I mean, Vucevic isn't young, but like a Randall or uh, a Levine who have not had any uh, track record of playoff success. They, they're not going to be more afraid of those guys than Middleton. It was just a baffling decision by the coaches. I just don't get it. And I thought he was the most snubbed players of all the snubs. He deserved Davis's spot, but Booker got it. And he's also deserving. I'm not going to try to take anything away from him. But uh, I would have personally given it to Middleton. I always wonder if the coaches, and this is not like all NBA, which probably matters more, but I always wonder if the coaches look and be like, hmm, we might want to trade for this guy at some point. Maybe we shouldn't name him an all-star. That way that he has like one less accolade that makes him look a little <laughs> bit worse so we can trade for him. I wonder if there's some kind of like posturing there. God, we're never going to trade. We're never going to trade for Julius Randle. Let's name him an all-star. Who cares? And everyone does it. <laughs> Uh, all right, coming up, let's get into some trade deadline talk. It's a month away, literally a month away from today is the NBA trade deadline. Feels wild because it's, we're not, this season is all different this season. But we're going to talk about that, talk about a little bit about Chris House Porzingis. It's the big talk in Dallas. I host the Lockdown Mavericks podcast. We're going to talk about that. There's some rumors around him. We'll get into all that with Ben Golliver coming up. But before we do that, betonline.ag, it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all the sports action. All of it. There's so much sports action. NBA, NHL. You also have college going on, basketball. You have so many things that you can bet on. Betonline.ag. Use that promo code LOCKDOWN. Get a 50% welcome bonus. You can also check out the LOCKDOWN bets. If you need a place to start, they'll tell you and uh, get you started on some of those uh, really juicy bets that they got going. Tomorrow. If you're actually, if you're listening to this on Thursday, Clippers, seven and a half point favorite over the Grizzlies. That one's a little bit interesting. Knicks, two point favorite over the Kings at home. Denver, seven point favorite over the Wizards. The Wizards kind of surging recently. I don't know about that one. That one's kind of interesting. They also have some NBA futures. You can bet on the championship. Odds for the championship right now, Lakers, plus 280. Nets, plus 300. Clippers, plus 550. If you're a fan of the Utah Jazz, plus 700. Get in on that right now. If you think the Utah Jazz can win the final. 
channels. Again, use that promo code locked on and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Today on the Lockdown Today podcast, Tiger Wood hospitalized after a car crash early Tuesday morning. Peter Bukowski gives you the latest details. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Lockdown Today podcast. Subscribe to Lockdown Today wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Ben. So the other news in the NBA, second half of the schedule comes out. There's, you know, let's just go through every single team and, and start breaking down like, you know, who has the best schedule and who has the worst? Who's going to win what game, right? Like, Don't you love those prediction shows that just try to predict who's going to win which game and then never ends up that way because the NBA is so unpredictable, especially this year? Yeah, I feel like the biggest takeaways were just they were going to cram all the games in kind of no matter what. They weren't pushing back the playoffs in any meaningful way, right? They weren't doing some extended all-star break. They weren't giving a bunch of relief to teams that had to make games up. You know, it was just sort of like, sorry, this is more condensed than usual. And then on those ABC Sunday games, it might as well just be the Lakers on uh, ABC. You know, it's just <laughs> Lakers, Lakers, Lakers every single week. So uh, I think the, the Warriors might have headlined one. The Nets might have headlined one. But otherwise, it was just all Lakers all the time. And to me, that was a sign that the NBA continues to be trying to just do whatever it possibly can to generate television revenue. They're not taking chances, bringing in a lot of new blood into those major weekend showcase games. They're just going with, uh, you know, LeBron. Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, and they're just trying to milk those guys for everything they're worth. Milk those guys for everything they're worth. The NBA is uh, the NBA TV schedule. That's how it works. Uh, if we look at just the Mavericks, like the Mavericks had three games that were postponed due to storms and COVID and, and different things. And all three of those games went into the second half of the season as back-to-backs. And so that condensed schedule, you're starting to see it. I'm sure that happened to a bunch of other teams too. So yeah, teams are going to start feeling it towards the end of their schedule. All of a sudden they're going to have a bunch of back-to-backs and that's how it works. Easiest schedule. Tankathon put together you know, just the easiest schedule by record. Brooklyn, Utah, Dallas, Miami, Boston, those are all in the, the top 10, like easiest schedule. That's really interesting, especially for Dallas, Miami, Boston, some disappointing teams there. Brooklyn, Utah, I mean, can they get another, like, do they need another break, I guess, those teams? Uh, and then hardest schedule, third hardest schedule, the Lakers, sixth hardest schedule, Portland. That's a team that's been, you know, kind of over. Uh, overcome some of their deficiencies and they have the hardest schedule. So those kind of teams stick out to me as far as schedule coming up, yeah. at least as far as. Yeah. Real quick on Portland. I mean, that's a team that, you know, they've, they've lost a couple here straight, maybe three straight games. And I think that some of the stats guys would say, look, their point differential is not as good as their record. So they're more likely to come back to earth here as the season unfolds, even if they were playing an average schedule, just because they've been so good in the clutch and some of that stuff usually kind of evens out and, give Damian Lillard a lot of the credit for being captain clutch, you know, this season and in previous seasons as well. But if you're playing against a tougher competition, that could also, you know, pull Portland back to earth a little bit if their um, overall record starts to match their point differential just a little bit more. So that could be one team that you want to watch slide. And frankly, uh, you know, the Lakers, uh, they could be in for a little slide too, depending on how long it takes Anthony Davis to come back and what he looks like when he gets reintegrated. If the Jazz are 25 and six and they've got one of the easiest schedules left, I mean, <laughs> what's their record going to look like? They're winning 81% of their games right now. I mean, the Jazz also don't have to play the Jazz, so that makes their schedule a little bit easier. Yeah. So that, that vaults them up a little bit. But yeah, that is absolutely yeah. wild. That's um, true. It's like right. Bama football, right? In college, it's like, you know, Bama's got yes. <laughs> they don't have to play themselves. So it works against them somehow. And it's a good thing the NBA doesn't have a BCS, right? 
Uh, all right, let's get into some trade deadline talk. So at least for me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the big story I think right now as far as trade stuff is Kristaps Porzingis. There are some rumors that the Mavericks are shopping him. Rick Carlisle and Mark Cuban immediately turned that down, shut that down. Carlisle, not even prompted before the Mavs game against the Pist- the, the uh, Celtics, said, we are not shopping Kristaps Porzingis. I am shutting that down. Like he didn't, he wasn't even asked a question. He just preemptively said it. Uh, that usually sets a red flag off for me. Um, also, Porzingis sat out the last two games with back tightness, even though the Mavericks had seven full days off after, like before those two games. That also put up a red flag for me. Ben, am I am I just too deep in the weeds since I follow the Mavericks every single day? Or what do you think about this Porzingis trade talk? Well, I'll be honest. I haven't given it a ton of consideration. I think it's tricky when you're looking at a guy who's penciled in as your number two player, and he's certainly you know not been great coming off of injuries um, so far this season. If you trade him now, you're selling low, and that seems like a weird thing to do if you're a young team that's building. I mean, usually in those situations, you're going to want to see everything you could possibly see for him. So I'm going to ask you as somebody who watches every game he plays, like, is he a lost cause? Do you feel like there's not untapped potential? Is there no way for this kind of turnaround for him? And, and he can kind of get back to the guy that we saw in the bubble where he's scoring efficiently and looking more confident and maybe moving a little bit better because, you know, ultimately I don't think he's a player that you kind of want to give away. And, and the way he's been playing so far this season, I don't think you're getting a great return. And so selling low after, you know, going out there kind of swinging for the fences to grab him a couple of years ago from New York, it just, doesn't really pass the smell test to me. I don't know exactly who is going to be interested in, in the version of Chris Epps Porzingis we've seen so far this season. So that's why I'm a little bit dubious. And I, you know, generally when guys come out and deny it that forcefully, it's, you know, it's some of it could just be because yes, he's our player. We're going to back him, but some of it could also just be like, Hey guys, I mean, like, what are we going to get for him right now? Yeah, all those questions. How did you just think of all the questions that keep me up late at night? Man, is Chris Epps Porzingis ever going to reach? his ceiling. I don't know. I just sit there and stare at the ceiling. I I don't think that this is is anything either. I think that unless there's some unrest on Porzingis' side where he's upset with his role, we've seen him do this in New York, right? Where he comes out and says that he wants to get traded and all the stuff with his brother. Unless it's something like that and I don't have any, you know, knowledge that it it is that way. That's the only way I could see if if the Mavericks had their hand was moved for them. They gave him that huge contract. He's, you know, offensively he's playing fine. Like he's he's 20 and 9 this year, something like that. His shooting percentages have gotten better recently. Uh, defense is where it's just been completely awful. Like he's just been a minus on defense and completely different than he was last year and even in the bubble. And so that's where he really has to step up. And that's where it's been, you know, he's been a big negative for the Mavericks and how Mavs fans have been kind of ready to ship him out. But yeah, they would be selling really low on him. And I don't think that that, that is, you know, the best way to manage your assets. And honestly, the best version of this Mavericks team is if Chris Ops Porzingis works out. Like, who else around the NBA is a better fit with Luka than Chris Ops Porzingis? I mean, we were all salivating when that trade happened. Like, oh, dang, if these guys figure it out, and it should be easy for them to figure it out, then all of a sudden this could be a title team for the next, you know, decade or so. Yeah, I think that they've got more immediate concerns than that, which is like, just make sure you make the playoffs and get your record above 500, right? And we've seen that this offense, if Luka's clicking on all cylinders and Porzingis is shooting the basketball consistently and stretching the court, can win you a lot of games, even if he happens to be a liability on defense, right? You're just going to be able to outscore and out-efficient some teams if uh, your, your starting lineup group with him in it is clicking. So that's why I would be preaching patience here. 
I would be trying not to overreact. You know, at the same time, when they take him off the court in late game situations, I'm usually kind of pumping my fist, you know, and not in my head. I'm like, eh, you know, that's that's probably the better move. And that could be tricky for his for him to swallow, you know, like uh, there's a pride factor there. This idea that he's probably been his entire life a closing player. And in certain situations, I think it actually makes more sense for them to just kind of go a different direction in, in those spots. And. Uh, you know, once if he starts moving better, then that equation changes and he is going to be out there late in games all the time and maybe he'll be a little bit happier. But I do still think he's working his way back into the type of condition and shape and uh, mobility that they need from him. How are you looking at guys like Porzingis? And then there's other guys like the Mavericks have Josh Richardson and Maxi Kleba that, you know, came down with COVID and they're having a hard time coming back. Like in Porzingis, he had his surgery late in the off season because they thought the season was going to start later. And so it's harder for him to get back into the season, get back in shape. Carlisle, he's even mentioned he's just getting his base, like conditioning down under him because he didn't really have a full training camp. He just jumped in the middle of the season. How are you looking at some of these guys? Because it's so hard to evaluate some of these players, like trying to figure out their whole situation. Oh yeah. This guy just came back from this. This guy's dealing with this surgery and, uh, and trying to figure out when these guys are all going to be back to a hundred percent. It's impossible to evaluate it across the board. I mean, remember, Nick, more than 100 players have tested positive for COVID, right, over the last year. And so how many of those guys develop serious symptoms? We're probably never going to know. Uh, Some of those guys have self-reported, right? So Jason Tatum has told us, hey, look, I've had some issues. Um, You know, some other guys, you know, it, it gets alluded to because of, you know, whether it's conditioning or trying to catch your wind or whatever else. Other guys just said, you know, hey, it was a nasty you know, it was a real bad bug. I really felt it. You know, we've heard some of those statements, but there's no like ledger of, okay, here's who got COVID. Here was who was symptomatic. Here was who was uh, asymptomatic. Here's how long it lasted. Here's what their numbers look like before and after. And you're not going to want to judge it based off of a season where there's no fans in a lot of these arenas. And when a lot of teams aren't playing like super locked in defense night tonight, uh, you know, we, we're seeing a lot of inflated stats right now around the league as well. So it's hard to isolate that one variable in, in these guys' cases unless they sort of come forward and, and raise the issue themselves. So I guess my blanket policy this year is to try to avoid overreacting against um, you know players who are playing like way abnormal compared to what their usual baseline is, right? Because that could be um, you know attributable to something like you know a COVID recovery or it could be attributable to some other injury issue um, or it could be attributable to the change schedule or the different environment inside the arena or whatever else. So I'm trying to uh, avoid, you know, jumping to conclusions too much on any of these guys and hammering them. But at the same time, these teams don't have the luxury. Like you look at Dallas, they need Porzingis to be awesome if they want to get where they're, they want to go. Right. Same thing with Boston. They need more from Kemba Walker right now that he's kind of giving them right in a part, probably because he's coming back from that knee issue. And so there's some teams who are absolutely feeling it in the win loss column in the standings, uh, you know, because of these kinds of issues and, uh, you know, that's going to be frustrating for their fan bases and there's, there's really no way around it for those teams and those players. And frustrating for those daily podcast hosts like myself. That's kind of where I stand at this point. Uh, all right, coming up, let's go around the association. We'll hear from all the Locked On Podcast Network hosts, all the games last night. Great stuff. Good insights from guys like me that watch their team every single day. We hear from them coming up. RockAuto.com. It is the one place, your one-stop shop, basically, 
one-stop auto shop for all the parts your car will ever need. You can save money. You can easily find your stuff. Your stuff. If your car needs a stuff, go find the stuff at rockauto.com. You can look up your car based on the make, the model, the year, all that kind of stuff. You look through it, find what you need, find some stuff maybe you didn't know that you needed that's there at rockauto.com. You don't have to go out and maybe it's raining outside. You don't want to have to go check what size wiper blades you need. Rockauto.com will tell you what size wiper blades you need. So you can go check that out. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com February is Black History Month and the Locked On Podcast Network is honoring the challenges and success of black men and women in sports with a new series called Locked On Presents More Than the Game this week, we have two conversations for you to wrap up the month. First, a discussion on a, on protests in sports across leagues. Then, tune in for a discussion on the importance of black history in sports, what's been achieved, and the important work left to be done, all in discussion on the Lockdown Presents podcast feed. Subscribe on the Radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now let's go around the league and check out the scores from tonight in the association. The Thunder beat the Spurs 102-99, SGA 42 points. Lou Dort with the game-winning three. Here's Ryland Stiles from Lockdown Thunder. I'm Ryland Stiles, host of the Lockdown Thunder podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. And honestly, I'll accept the apology from the coaches at any moment for leaving SGA out of the All-Star game because he's absolutely one of the best players in the Western Conference and should have been on the All-Star game list because in this game he goes for 42 points on 20 shots. It took him 20 shots to get to 42. He was the only reason why the Thunder won this game and were even in this game against San Antonio, but it was Lou Dort who knocked down the game winner on an inbound pass from Shea to Al Horford. A beautiful play design to get the open shot for Lou Dort. Mark Dagnut continues to impress in his rookie season as a head coach. For more on this game, tune into Lockdown Thunder anywhere you get your podcast from. Pelicans beat the Pistons 128-118. Zion Williamson with 32 points in this one. Here's Jake Madison from Lockdown Pelicans. Hey everyone, Jake Madison here from Locked On Pelicans. New Orleans gets the victory 128-118 over the Detroit Pistons. It was the Zion show yet again, and he further proved why he deserved to be selected for the All-Star game. 32 points on 18 shots while shooting a ridiculous 72% from the field. And Point Zion was in full display in this one as he finished with five assists on the night. A stat to keep an eye on, when Zion has five or more assists, the Pelicans are now 7-0 this season. So for more on Zion Williamson, be sure to check out the Locked On Pelicans podcast. Charlotte Hornets beat the Suns 124 to 121. Malik Monk 29 points off the bench. Gordon Hayward and LaMelo Ball with 20 points each. Controversial play at the end of this one. Gordon Hayward fouled Booker on the arm. Was not called. Hornets get the win and move to 15 and 16 on the year. Hawks beat the Celtics 127 to 112. Danilo Gallinari went wild in this one. 38 points. Brad Rowland from Lockdown Hawks has it for you. Hello, friends. My name is Brad Rowland, and uh, the Atlanta Hawks got, got a big-time win this evening over the Boston Celtics at home. Danilo Gallinari went absolutely bonkers for Atlanta. He had a franchise record 10 three-pointers, also became the first player in league history to hit nine threes in the first three quarters off the bench. All kinds of history being made, in fact. The Hawks set their franchise record for threes as a team with 23 overall. 
And Atlanta was just unconscious in this game. Occasionally that happens. It's more fun when it happens to the team that you root for, of course, than the team that you don't root for. But Trey Young was great in this game. The Hawks just made a bunch of threes and Gallinari was the story. Basically, this is the Gallinari game in a lot of ways. He was fantastic. The Celtics did not shoot the ball well, did not play very well, and defensively they were kind of a mess in this game. But Atlanta took advantage, and uh, after the game it was all smiles from basically everyone as the Hawks sort of get the taste out of their mouth from a brutal loss on Tuesday to the Cleveland Cavaliers on the road. So a split, not in the way that you would have drawn it up necessarily, but Gallinari goes crazy and the Hawks get a big win. The Cleveland Cavaliers beat the Rockets 112 to 96. The Rockets with their ninth straight loss. Jared Allen with 26 points and 18 rebounds for the Cavs. He looks like the center of the future in Cleveland. The Golden State Warriors beat the Pacers 111 to 107. Steph Curry, 24 points, eight boards, eight assists. Here's Wes Goldberg from Locked On Warriors. This is Wes Goldberg of Locked On Warriors breaking down Golden State's 111 to 107 win over the Pacers on Wednesday night. Steph Curry scored 24 points, but only on seven of 21 shooting, went just one of 11 from three-point range. The Warriors, as a team, missed 21 of their 26 three-point attempts, but it didn't matter because they got it done in the paint, outscoring Indiana 66 to 48 in that area of the floor. A gritty win for a Warriors team that ends this four-game road trip, two and two, with back-to-back -back wins against the Knicks and the Pacers. They head back to San Francisco, for one home game before going back on the road for three games to finish the first part of their season. A gritty win again for this Warriors team that's trying to pick up some momentum going into the All-Star break. For more on the game, check out Locked On Warriors wherever you get podcasts. Chicago Bulls beat the Minnesota Timberwolves 133-126. to Zach Levine, the new All-Star with 35 points. Kobe White, 20 points, 8 boards, and 6 assists in this one. This Bulls move to 15-16 and on the year. Miami Heat beat the Toronto Raptors 116 to 108. Jimmy Butler with 27 points, eight boards, and 10 assists in this one. Here's David Ramil from Locked On Heat. Hey everyone, this is David Ramil of Locked On Heat. Miami knocked off Toronto 116-108, notching a four-straight victory after a seven-game road trip. They came back to the America Airlines Arena along with about 3,000 fans in attendance to watch glimpses of the team that won the NBA Finals last season. It might not have been their best or most complete game, but for long stretches, Miami was active defensively. They passed the ball really well, 31 assists on 37 main field goals, and they were shooting really well too, nearly 48% from three-point range. Even Jimmy Butler, who's shooting just 16% from the season beyond the perimeter, went three of four from long range, including a pair in the fourth quarter to help stave off another Raptors run. The Heat also welcomed back Goran Dragic for the first time in a few weeks, and while he was understandably rusty, he also chipped in 15 points. Miami's arguably playing their best basketball of the season, and they need to be because they'll be gearing up to host the league-leading Utah Jazz on Friday. For a full recap of tonight's game, make sure to subscribe to Locked on Heat. And finally, the Utah Jazz beat the Los Angeles Lakers 114-89. to And who better to tell you all about it than the great David Locke? It's David Locke with the Utah Jazz victory over the Los Angeles Lakers. Playing the Jazz shorthanded should be illegal. That's what the Lakers tried tonight, and this game's been over for hours. The Jazz blast the Lakers in the second quarter, open the third quarter on an 8-0 run, and lead for the second half by 20 or more most of the time. LeBron didn't even play the fourth quarter this game. This was the 20th time in 32 games the Jazz led by 20 points 
in a game. They do it on a night where Donovan Mitchell's shooting is off, but the rest of the shooting was on. 14 first quarter, first half threes for the Jazz when the Lakers adjusted and met a dunk fest for Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors. The Jazz have now won 22 of their last 24. They lead the Lakers by five in a loss column in the Western Conference. For more on the Jazz, go to Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. There you go. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Subscribe to the podcast if you're not already. Follow Locked On NBA Pods on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All kinds of good stuff coming there. And we'll be back tomorrow with more Locked On NBA. Boom.